the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any... Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. I'm trying to look and remember what uh, last week was even like. <laughs> it's been busy. Yeah, I haven't had time to look up, actually. So, very fascinating. And actually, the market's relatively unchanged. I mean, it's it's up slightly. Oh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's up a little bit, and it's just slightly below where it was at the beginning of June. Um, when I say the market, I mean the S&P 500, because that's what everybody refers to as the market. It's not the market. That's the first thing I have to tell you. It's not the market, but it's what everybody compares themselves to. And the top 50 stocks in there make up half of the market. So you're not really, that. that's one of the uh, misunderstandings, I think. It's not a diversified, it's not a very well diversified portfolio of stocks to look at. That doesn't matter because the media doesn't know that either. And they keep pointing out to it and saying, that's the market. And uh, it's not the market. <laughs> it's it's what you're calling the market. And if you took those top 50 stocks out of there, you want to talk about a drop like a rock. The performance on that would be down less than half of what it's been over the past a year, which would bring its three and five year numbers down significantly as well. And that's a problem if you don't understand that. We'll talk about that a little bit more in today's show. I'm actually going to take the last segment of each show now and I'm going to talk about individual stocks for about 15 minutes because I got people out there, um, they're subscribing to the Lookout for the Bull website. Those are the stocks that are going up really fast right now and uh, there's a whole training method on there that's free. I paid, I paid close to $5,000 years ago. I think it's like 25 years ago. Yeah, 5,000 was worth a lot more 25 years ago than it is today. And to learn what I put up on that website for free. 
in the, it works. You got to have a certain type of temperament to be able to make that work for you. If you don't have the temperament, I'm going to tell you, don't waste your time. Uh, and if you do have the temperament, it's still going to take a lot of time. So just, just, I like to be up front, let you know what you're up against. And uh, anyway, we're, we're going to take about 15 minutes. We're going to talk about that. There have been some investment clubs, and one in particular. And um, one of these days, I'll have to get them on the show. Uh, in uh, we'll talk about how they do what they do because I'm impressed. You know, I'm I'm very impressed. These guys, they got it. And uh, it does. By the way, you don't have to be rocket scientist to do that. In fact, the more education you have, you know, it almost goes against you. The uh, in this particular instance. So if if you're looking to be a momentum investor and you've got a really super high IQ, mm, wow, you, you've already got two strikes against you. <laughs> One is that the market's hard to deal with. Everybody has to deal with that one. The second one is you're probably going to try to understand each and every little thing about it, and that's going to get in your way. Uh, and if you go to the Lookout for the Bull website, you'll see what I'm talking about. So, But that's going to be the last segment of today's show. I'm going to talk about some guaranteed income programs we've been talking about now for a few weeks. Uh, one in particular, there's a, uh, this, is a, this is a big deal. You know, I'm looking I'm on the Wall Street Journal's website right now and i'm going to let's see i'm going to markets market data home and if you go to market data home you can click on different uh links i'm looking at the the bonds right now a 30-year bond 30-year bond paying 1.3 percent 30 years 10-year notes the long-term average on the 10 years close to five percent you know what it's paying now 0.63 0.63, and you got to hold on to that for 10 years to be guaranteed that interest rate. If you sell it between now and then, you're either going to get less or more than you paid for the bond, depending on what uh, interest rates do and what the economy does and what actually what the stock market does. It's unbelievable how much influence the stock market has on bonds now, but you know that, that correlation's probably higher than it has been in ever. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back and check, but Anyway, the uh, um, for 0.63, you know, and you look across the country, I don't know, you know, you can go to uh, uh, bankrate.com, look up the highest paying CDs. I haven't seen anything much more than 1% in a, in a while now. And you're looking at a CD and someone will give you for the first six months to kind of get you in there. They'll give you more interest, but six months later, you know, you've got to, Find some other bank because that six month guarantees is is over, and it's not very high. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today is that bonds in your portfolio, if you've got to hold on to super short term bonds that are paying nothing because they've only got one other, I guess you could go below zero, and the the banks could start charging you to keep your money safe for you, meaning you're not getting interest anymore that you're actually paying them because that's what they do in several countries throughout Europe. They literally pay the banks to hang on to their money for them. And I'm really hoping we don't get that way. <laughs> but with all the money that that's being circulated, the chances of inflation and inflation, I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately, but prices have moved up fairly significantly. Fortunately for the federal government, they exclude food prices when they calculate CPI, the consumer price index, or what they equate to as inflation, 
what a lot of people do. I don't know if they do or not, but anyway, that inflation consumer price index is a measure of inflation, and that's what they base the increases in Social Security on, amongst other things. And so if they exclude food and energy prices because they said the, the excuse they always gave was they're too volatile. Uh, no, they're moving up at two to three times faster than all the other prices are. And that makes your numbers look really bad. I'm just kidding. Kind of. But the, uh, so the CPI number, as inflation starts to pick up, when you start to uh, print and circulate money, which they've done, uh, I, you know, I think it's a, They've done a good job. It's actually kind of put somewhat of a backstop behind the stock market. It's re- it had the, by the way, the, the drop that we had earlier this year was the fastest in history. It was faster than during the depression, which very few people were alive during. Even my father was born on the tail end of the depression. So the, uh, most people don't remember that stuff anymore, but the stock market went down about 85% and it took World War II to pull us back out of the Depression. What do I mean by that? Well, we had to start making uniforms and tanks and guns and uh, rations and you know, signing people up, training them, sending them overseas. It was incredibly expensive. So here we are in one of the worst financial situations the world has ever seen. And then we go on printing money, borrowing money. Sending soldiers overseas it was a lot more expensive back then, by the way. And you couldn't talk to them. I mean, a phone call, long distance phone call, if you could get one made, cost an enormous amount of money relative to the incomes they had. So what's my point behind all this? Well, when it when push comes to shove, we're going to do what we have to do. And that's what we're doing now. It's, and it's going to work. It's absolutely going to work. What's really interesting about this is, are they going to raise interest rates anytime soon? I doubt it. You know, when I said that back in 2008, 2008, I'm looking at the situation and I'm thinking, you know what? Interest rates, not only are they lower, but they're probably are, than they were two years ago, three years ago, they're probably going even lower still. And I mean, the reaction, you know, on my radio program, all the listeners, all three of you guys, got, got upset with me. You got upset. That was not what you wanted to hear. The interest rates were going lower. Okay, and I said, you know, back then I was thinking, wow, it's got to be at least five years. You know, well, guess what? That was twelve years ago. So yeah, I was wrong. Not only did they go lower, that part was right. They went a lot lower and stayed there. <laughs> I did not anticipate that. I knew they were going lower. So here's the thing. You got all this debt now, and the federal government has to pay interest on that debt. They also have to pay increases in Social Security. And uh, um, you've got all that weighing on you, and you're in charge of setting the interest rates. What would you do? If you could charge yourself less interest, would you charge yourself less interest? Now think about this. Let's say you're at home and all of a sudden you get to pick your own interest rates on all your credit card debt. What would you pick? Would you pick 18%, 36%, the way that some of these cards get to charge? Would you pick that rate because you're a good person and you want to make sure that the credit card company is very successful and healthy? 
Or would you say, yeah, I think I'll do 1%. (laughs) I don't think the, uh, you know, I understand. (laughs) I know how that works. They're not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. And that's why um, these companies that, that participate, my favorite, is Nationwide. And there are others out there that are in this coalition that, that got together that said, hey, we've got a bunch of retirees out there. And every day somebody else is turning 65. I think it's close to 10,000 people a day. And they need more than 0.6% on a 10-year treasury. They need more than 1% on a million dollars. Put a million dollars at one percent. That's ten thousand dollars a year. Uh, you put a million dollars at four and a half or five percent or six percent. Now, by the, by the way, this depends on your age. The older you are, the more money you get. The, well, the higher the uh, rate of return is. Um, why is that? Because you're not expected to live quite as long because you know, you're older. So they'll pay a little bit more. Anyway, those guaranteed income things instead of. You know, going through this, there's the nationwide put up a website and you can, if you want to reach out to me, you want to talk about it or you just want to see the website, I'll send you the link to the website. You can put in there how much income you think you might need. It'll tell you how much money you need to have depending on your age. And, or you can put in, uh, I have this amount of money and here's my age and here's how much income you can get. Works either way. And it explains the, the whole thing very well. Much better than I could. Uh, actually, I can assist when you have questions because they're going to be questions. Absolutely. And uh, this is a, uh, I think this is a really good thing, particularly for the fixed income portion of somebody's portfolio. I think it makes a lot of sense to take a look at it. Uh, I'm a fiduciary, incidentally. I have to do what's in your best interest. So this is how we work. You get the link, you go there, you play around with the website. If you have questions, you call me, I'll answer the questions for free. You don't have, you don't owe me anything for that. If you decide that, Hey, I think I would like to talk more about doing this for myself. You're always free to call, set up an appointment. There's no cost. And the tone of voice that I'm taking now is actually a little more harsh than the tone that I take in my office. (laughs) So the, um, because you guys are driving out there. I got to speak clearly. And I don't want you wobbling all over the road. <laughs> Just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> so anyway, you can uh, take a look at this. I want you to do what's best for you. Uh, when you're looking at income now, it is dangerous. It is dangerous on the fixed income front. It's as dangerous as stocks are. In fact, with the fixed income portfolios, in August every year, I take a look at what we're doing there. And I make adjustments that I think I are going to be good over the next 12 months. This year, we're shortening up the maturities on all the uh, income investments that we hold big time. As interest rates can't go a whole lot lower. And if they do, I'm not sure it's going to lift a 1.5% 30-year treasury up too much in, in price. Okay, So with a ten, six-tenths of a percent on a 10-year, we're going to take a shorter maturity because the next move in interest rates with the rate that they're printing money is probably up. And I'm looking out over the next four to five years, not next four to five months. I think it's probably slightly higher. Why? 
Well, this problem is definitely going to be solved probably within the next 12 months. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But within the next 12 months, there's probably, we're going to, and worst case scenario is we're a lot better off than we were at the beginning because we had no preparation for this. And we've already been working on it for a few months. A year from now, we will have about 18 months in. That's a lot. That's a lot of time, especially when every country in the world's joining together and the cooperation is highest it's ever been in any event in the history of the world. Isn't that amazing? We're making uh, world history here. People trying to solve this problem at the same time. And uh, and by the way, there's actually a lot of money to be made in solving these problems. And it is going to help everybody. The quicker everybody can get back to work, the quicker the economy starts to rebound. And that's a big deal. And believe me, it's going to rebound. Nobody knows the speed that it's going to rebound at, but we know it's going to rebound because people still like to drive cars, wear clothing, eat food, and live in housing. You got to have all that stuff. You know, clothing may be optional in some areas of the country. <laughs> yes, I think I'll stay away from those. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> but the uh, anyway, so interest rates probably staying a lot lower. These tools can help you. And it's really interesting, though, and I've been talking about it for just a few weeks. This this product's only been out for a little while. Uh, by the way, the way that this works is the companies will take a product, and everybody asks if it's an annuity, and they say annuity just like it's um, like all annuities are the same. And I got to tell you, yeah, that's like saying all people are the same, or that's like saying all automobiles are the same. They're not. You have to, and is it hard? Yeah, it is. Do you have to read a lot? Yep. And if you're not used to doing this, you're probably going to have to sit there with a dictionary of of accounting and financial terms to figure out what everything means. And then every company puts their own little spin on some of the words because they're allowed to. And I got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back. I long for your Every single day to meet you in this place. And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can go to my website, Bill at Bullington. Uh, that's my email address. <laughs> Bill at BullingtonCapital.com is my email address, but Bullington Capital is the website. You can reach out to contact us there if you'd like to uh, follow up on something that you heard on this program. You can also call into the show today, 216-901-0945. And I'm going to go to the phones right now. And I got uh, Jim. Hang on one second. There we go. Are you there? Jim, oh, I lost the call. Yeah, wow. That is not uh, working like it's supposed to. <laughs> well, if you'd call back, that'd be great. 216-901-0945, sorry about that. The, um, and we were just talking about the uh, Guaranteed Lifetime Income Program through Nationwide. They've got a website. So instead of me giving out a bunch of 
of words or I'm sorry, a, a bunch of details. I would just say, just um, go to my website, click on it and say, could you send me that link? I'll send you a link right to the page that you want to see. That's basically how much income you can get uh, for making investments in it. Now, I have to tell you, uh, again, there's good and uh, there are good and bad annuities out there. Some of them are just not that good, and some of them are pretty good. And uh, the vast majority of them, the reason that they're so popular, is that when they're increasing in value, it's tax deferred. Uh, when you take money out of it, you can have various options. It's pretty; they're extremely flexible, I should say. So, you you know, a lot of people think you have to annuitize. Um, sometimes you do. Sometimes you're just executing this thing they call a rider. That, that's not part of the contract. That's something that you added to it. And then sometimes you just do a systematic withdrawal where you're just taking, uh, fun, have set it, having it set up to put money into your checking account on a monthly basis. And it has nothing to do with annuitization at all. So, like I said, these are probably some of the more complicated ones. This one's relatively simple, I think, anyway, but I've been doing this for you know, over 30 years now. So it's probably a little easier for me. Probably a lot easier for me. <laughs> but I think it's a really good thing. And here's where I'm looking at this. If you're looking at fixed income and you're looking at CDs at, at 1% or less, okay, that is really tough. That's really, really tough to get by on. You know, you'd have to have a million dollars to generate $10,000 a year, a million bucks for $10,000 a year. And uh, that, that is just, that's tough. So that's tough. The other way I'm looking at this is that if you use this and say this, this portion of it is going to be part of your more conservative portion, then you don't have to hold as much in fixed income or bonds in your stock portion, the portion that you've allocated to stocks. And even the uh, uh, worst stock categories over the last five years have done better than 1% a year. <laughs> and the best categories have done extremely well. And an average is right around four and a half to five, which again is a lot higher than one. You understand? Even with all that fluctuation, a diversified portfolio over the last five years has averaged about 5% a year versus one. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't a math major. <laughs> but but that seems pretty inter- easy to me. <laughs> and, you know, by the way, if you took out, there's a couple strategies that focused on large companies who are growing really fast. By the way, that's where that was the winning category. Over the past five years, that thing's done in the mid-teens. I mean, it is, so there's a huge gap between the lower performers and the upper, uh, the better performers. And in fact, you know what I did? I remember, I think I remembered, to put this into my file folder here. Um, I've got a, uh, oh, shoot. This is not the same computer I normally use. Doggone. Well, anyway. I put these comparisons together and feel free to call it for this too. So over the last five years, most people are like, they're either really happy because they're holding the S and P 500 or a fund that's very similar to that, which was uh, one of the top performing categories, 
or they're really upset because they did the right thing and they were truly diversified. If you were truly diversified, it cost you money because the small and mid-caps didn't do as well as the large caps did. The international emerging market did woefully underperform that. And my point to all this is that if you go back to the, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, they're all within 1% of each other. So what can you take away from that? The average person says, I don't care. And that's why the average person does look up a company called Dalbar when you get online and see how the average investor does over a long time period. Staying diversified is not comfortable and it's not easy because you're always only holding a small portion of that category that just went up the most. But see, in the long run, you're always holding a small portion of that category that just went up the most. So the, t- the tone of voice <laughs> is kind of a, uh, that changes the meaning there for people. Because if you're, if you don't have a crystal ball that works, you're not going to know which categories are going to do best ahead of time. So, and it, you know, when you look at the long-term track record of, of small caps, mid caps, large caps, international emerging markets, they're all pretty close to one another. So if you know that in the long run, they're going to end up, they, well, they should end up, we're not allowed to guarantee anything, but if they should end up in the same place, and one of them is currently ahead, what does that mean for the other categories? That means at some point in time, they should catch up, which means they're going to have to speed up. Does that make sense? So they're going to have to speed up if they're going to catch up. And that's why you've got a, a, a regular diversified portfolio is pretty good for the average investor. Now, if you want to try to increase the returns over that, you're going to have to try to, there are some things that you can do that I think make more common sense. Not jumping on the bandwagon of those top 50 stocks in the S&P 500 because when they go flat or and sideways, it can be a long, long, long time before they make any money. If I, if I did that five-year performance number in February, you should have seen how much further ahead it was then. You know, in February, that... S&P was ahead by a lot more right before it dropped 35%. Right before a third of your money goes away in a month. That speed, by the way, set a record. We set a record this year. We've never had a market drop 35% in that short of a time period. So that's what happens when it's tilted too much in favor of one category. And uh, by the way, it's still slightly below where it was. It's got to go up another, looks like three or four percent to make back where it was. And uh, no, that's just fine. When you look at longer term, too, you go back to the year March of two thousand. The technology. There were a couple sectors that were overvalued in the S and P five hundred. That one was actually a little bit easier to avoid than the uh, route that happened from two thousand seven to two thousand nine. And there were difference. The differences were there were a few a few sectors that were overvalued tremendously in 2000. They were the same sectors that had done the best up to that point. And I, you know, I feel like a broken record. My whole life has been explaining this, yet people don't. Uh, the average person, and a lot of my clients are way above average. They get it. You know that when the market peaked because they were overpriced. It was 2014 before the actual price level 
got higher than it had reached in the year 2000. And see, here's the problem with that. How old are you? If you're looking at retiring in the next 15 years and you don't want to be negative, okay, you can't do that. But look, well, look at the performance over the past five years. You know, I'm so tired of hearing that. The, uh, yeah, it, it does that. That's the way it actually works. It crashes, goes down like a mother, recovers, takes 10 years to recover, and then takes off. So if you have that much time and you're willing to sit through that, by all means, you know, go ahead. If you'd like to do something a little different, maybe not take that, you know, watch your, Assets drop in half. That's why these fixed income products were brought out to begin with. Now I think you've got one that has a very good option because fixed income has been a drag on all portfolios over the past five years. Imagine having 30, 35, 40% of your money in bonds, which is typically what most people do in bonds. And the average return's only been three. It's been three. You know what the long-term average of the bond market is? Six. So you're half. You're literally half. People are, uh, and, and they're wondering, why are my returns not so high? That's why. It's the fixed income portion and the fact that if you had a diversified portfolio, you only have a small portion in that category that's done the best. So I see it all the time. Uh, almost everybody that comes in is showing me their portfolios and that's exactly what is happening. Now, what can you do about that? Well, the first thing you can do is look at that fixed income and get an alternative that's going to pay you a little bit more. Now, this is not for everybody, by the way. If you're in your 40s, my suggestion to you is suck it up, put 75 to 80% of your money in stocks, only carry 20 to 25% in fixed income, make sure they're short-term bonds. You're not going to make anything on there. It's just so that you don't lose your mind when the market crashes. (laughs) that's what it's for literally so you don't lose your mind when the market crashes you can always go back and look at that and say well at least that's safe (laughs) because it's not like the market's not going to crash it's going to crash we just don't know when but we also know it recovers and the reason it recovers i'm so glad that the the government has done the things that they've done in the past few months this is unusual they have moved faster than they've ever moved they've never done at this scale even in world war ii i mean imagine that (laughs) well that might have compared actually that was pretty close the uh but so without having a major world war anyway this is the fastest that they have moved and they've done exactly the right thing and they've done the same things that a lot of countries around the world have been taking advantage of the united states and the dollar have been doing for decades and I'm just going, yeah, <laughs> this is what we need. We needed that. I can't believe they did it. I didn't think they'd have the guts <laughs> because it, you know, it's bold. This is, uh, I have, I've never been more confident in a, uh, an administration than this one with all the, the, the bad stuff that's going on financially behind the scenes, the stuff that most people don't, doesn't make headlines because nobody understands it anyway. And they, uh, uh, it, it's a big deal. This is a huge deal. And I know all the college economics professors are studying very closely the statistics to see how this all turns out and how it plays out because we are making history. This stuff has never happened before. The fact that they got and said, look, you know, to the oil companies, look, we'll back you up. We'll buy your debt. In other words, what they're saying is we will bail you out. 
<laughs> and prior to this, everybody, oh, no, free market capitalism. Well, I got news for you. China doesn't believe in free market capitalism. They manipulate it. They're currency manipulators. They manipulate your currencies. They manipulate prices. They've been taken advantage of the entire world. And we've been letting them. Okay. This is kind of, um, this is a good thing. This is a very good thing. I'm just, I'm amazed. I never thought that our Fed would have the courage to stand up and do what they're doing. I didn't think they would do it. And they are. So it, it's very encouraging for people like me. What are the challenges? The challenges are that interest rates are probably staying low for a very, a fairly significant amount of time. Now, if stock prices were overpriced, if we were looking at the S&P's price to sales ratio, the same one it reached in the year 2000, I'd be going, uh oh. Then I would be saying, you know what? Let's let Nationwide take all that risk. <laughs> we'll just give it all to them. <laughs> They'll handle it. The, uh, and you still have the risk that, you know, any company, uh, can get into trouble financially. That's why you want to stick with companies that have very high ratings. And by the way, there are others in that ca- in that space. I'm looking at two of them right now. And uh, others that have, because, you know, again, diversification, <laughs> kind of key. But right now, I, I really like this one. Uh, by the way, the way that this works is once they've filled up a certain amount of money that they want to have in that particular product, they will stop. They'll stop taking money in it. And they'll go back to the drawing board. They'll say, okay, they're going to reassess the amount of risk that they're taking. And then they're going to come up with a new product. It's going to be very similar, but it's going to have different uh, rules governing the, the returns. No, they may pay less is what I'm trying to say. And if interest rates don't you know, stabilize or go up a little bit, they are probably going to pay less. So anyway, boy, I feel like I've been talking for an hour and a half <laughs> straight and it's only been... Oh, 25 minutes. <laughs> if you have a phone call, question, or comment, feel free to give me a call, 216-901-0945. If you'd like that link so that you can play around, because this is it's basically uh, at Bullington Capital, we don't tell you what to do, what you can do. We do to give you your options, and we let you choose. If you ask me what my opinion is, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, but we don't try to pressure anybody to do anything one of the keys to investing successfully is being comfortable with what you're doing. Uh, I've seen a lot of people, when I say that, I get a lot of people who love to, to ponder and pander and don't come up with a decision for months. That's fine. Yeah, it, it could hurt you in some cases. In a few cases, it could help you. I don't know. Anybody that says they do know that is either delusional or thinks you are. Yeah, because you can't know what's going to be here six months from now. Heck, six years from now, you don't know what things. If you'd have told me all these categories would be negative over a five-year time period, I'd have said, what? You know, I wouldn't have believed that. But it happened. Anyway, i got to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Is this so crazy to believe? That you can't I gotta tell you, <clears throat> I think I have the best intro and outro music 
in the radio program <laughs> in this station. And, uh, that's actually my, uh, uh, producer Andy picks that stuff out. So thanks, Andy. That was uh, doing a good job. And, you know, I've got this, um, research I can share with anybody that wants to request it on a one on one basis. So what I did was I went through and I pulled up all the major index categories because, you know, we've been talking about the last five years and how they've done and all that. So I took the categories. I took the aggregate bond index, high yield bonds, international emerging market, small cap, mid cap, large cap. And I looked at their five year return numbers, uh, net of fees over the past five years. Okay. Um, aggregate bond 3.13. High yield bonds, 1.3. Now, high yield bonds for an incredibly long time period had had a total return that was close to the, it was over 10% a year. Last five years, it's been 1.3. So if you've held on to that, I'm sure that's, that's not, you're not real happy. You look at the international, it's 1.24. Look at emerging markets, which during the, uh, early 2000s was just screaming on fire. Everybody wanted to get in right before it went down 70% and uh, was one of the worst performers in the correction of 2008 and 2009. See, this my point to this whole thing is if you're looking at the last five years to figure out where you should be, you're making a mistake. Actually, yeah, that was a five-year number. Holy cow. So the, let's see, emerging markets was 1.62, uh, mid-cap 3.28 for the last five years. Small cap, 2.58. Large cap, 9.83. That was definitely the best performing category. And that was the, actually the S&P 500. Now, there are variations on themes. If you wanted to, so if you had, let's say you had a third of your money at, in the uh, S&P 500 or an equivalent. Okay. So that would, that would make you 3% a year over the past five years. Got 30% of your money. It's doing 9.8%. It's roughly about 3% a year, give or take. So, But that's only on, on a, a third of your money, which is typically the allocation. The other categories, the average there is under two. So the average, <laughs> what I'm saying is uh, people are looking around going, wow, this is really not good. Well, you know what? The, the cost of diversification in the long run is that you're not, you don't have all your money in the top performing category which means that you're probably not, you're going to look at that one category and go, wow, I should have had all my money in there. Nope, actually not, because you can't predict that. So if you're doing the right things, then you're probably a little dissatisfied. My whole point to today's show was, if you're looking at that fixed income, which typically makes up about a third, 30 to 40%, sometimes 50 to 60% of, of portfolios, depending on how old somebody is, and you're looking at returns that are you know going forward that are probably going to be negative, when interest rates rise, the share prices on uh, bond funds go go down, and the bond prices go down. Okay, so, given the fact that their interest rates are only one percent, you know, you're going to hang on to something that that it only needs to drop by one percent to wipe out all your gains. And by the way, you'll still have to pay tax on that one percent that you got, despite the fact that you're showing losses. So that's, that's my point with this whole thing. And this is not a short term thing. This is not going to go away lickety split. It's going to go away over long time periods. And it's, it's going to be quite frankly, like Chinese water torture. You go into high yield bonds, which have just, they've been acting like stocks. 
and the dividend yield on it's only like four to five percent. So you're going to get stock like volatility, and you're only expecting to make four to five percent. You know, you're taking an enormous amount of risk for that. You you may as well just have the money in stock funds. That's my point. If you can reduce the amount of money that you have in bonds, you have a a, a decent alternative. And you can actually be more aggressive on the stock side. You can have a, you, the rest of your money could be 100% in stock. And if you were 100% in stock, your returns were substantially better, right around 5% a year over the past five years. That's what they truly diversified portfolio. That's having all those crappy categories along with the good ones. Okay. So, so that's pretty good. That's really good. You can make it. And if you were d- decided that, you know what? I think I'd like to try to do even better than that. Here's here's my advice. Pick the categories where the sales growth is the highest and their price to sales ratios are normal. Price to sales ratio is kind of like price to earnings, price to book, all that. So it's it's a measure that I really like a lot. We'll talk a lot about, uh, a lot more about that next week. But if the price-to-sales ratio is just a measure of how expensive or inexpensive something might be. A higher number means you're paying more for it. A lower number means you're paying less for it. So you pick those categories that have the highest sales growth with the lowest valuation levels. I think you can actually improve on the S&P 500 returns. In fact, I have a little model uh, that's in the semiconductor space. You know, I've been talking about that for several years now. And... I added healthcare to it just recently, mainly because the healthcare stocks were already in a lot of the other funds that we hold. But with the pandemic, that's changed the healthcare industry forever now. It's actually given a boost to both the medical device manufacturers and the semiconductor manufacturers. Their valuations are extremely good. They're not overpriced. By any stretch of the imagination, maybe a few of the biotechs are, but that's, they're just few and far between. But so you look at the sales growth, given the, the low valuation level, I think those categories continue to outperform over the next five years. Now that, that's, we're not allowed to guarantee anything like that, but common sense would, to me anyway, dictates that the sales growth is really good. The demand is really high and the valuations are good too. So it's one of your better areas. And I put together a little model like that. I'm not going to give you the numbers because they sound too good to be true. The, uh, if you want that, I'll send it to you. You know, just contact me on my website. You're going to have to leave your email address and, uh, I'll send you that report and, uh, I'll follow up with a, a phone call just to see if you have any questions and no, no pressure whatsoever. I have a hard time calling back the people that want to talk to me by the way. <laughs> so the, uh, just if you have any questions and you know, I'll, I'll make sure I try to give you a call. Anyway, I, I swore I was going to talk about stocks and I am, but we've only got a few minutes. Um, the, the stocks I'm going to talk about are the ones that are published every day on the lookout for the bull website. There are a couple, I go through that list every day and I take a look and this is where I, I, I manage a small portion of my own money using that technique. And I think it's fun. Um, I would not do this with a very large portion of your money because it's a uh, it's more aggressive and you got to be there you got to pay attention it's more work. I use trailing stop orders by the way. But uh but it's still a lot of effort even with the trailing stops on there there's a lot of effort. So and if you want to read about that, you know, go to lookoutforthebull.com. 
Um, Mike Seeger's the uh, guy that runs that. I uh, trained him myself. Uh, he does a very good job, and it's pretty cool. Ten bucks a month, you get to see the stocks that I'm going to be talking about here. And let me see. I'm going to go down to Boise Cascade, which this is really interesting. Boise Cascade, they're a lumber company. The uh, I can't believe that came up on the scan. <laughs> Maybe they make some uh, masks out of lumber. I don't know. But uh, I just thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, there's a uh, company that does welding. It's been around. It's actually haven't even, hasn't even been public that long. The reason I'm this has caught my eye. I like the pattern that it's exhibiting. Uh, I understand the products, and it's got a price to sales ratio of 0.23. That's pretty low, even for that industry. Uh, that industry doesn't have really high profit margins, so normally they don't have high price to sales ratios. Um, and we'll talk more a little bit more about that in the future. There's a solar company called Sunrun Incorporated and its symbol is run. So that's the sole reason I'm buying that. I like the symbol. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the uh, The growth rate's been very good. Uh, solar has been increasing. It, it, it's just the way we're going. And I look at the price of sales ratio compared to uh, the Welding company or you know, Boise Cascade, that that's at point two. The price to sales ratio is point two. This one's one point three eight. But the average in this space that this company's in, it can get up to eight or nine, no problem. Four or five is is average. Yeah. And so anything underneath three is a potential bargain. So at one point three eight, that's pretty good. Uh symbol is one. Next to it, and this is also another good sign, Vivint Solar, VSLR is a symbol on that one, closed at $20.19. Its price-to-sales ratio is only 1.49. Now, all this data, by the way, is according to Telechart. I haven't double-checked that. Sometimes there are some differences because of the way that companies report. Some companies don't get the numbers until others, but they're normally uh, within 10% or so of where they should be. So uh, in, that's still a really good number. For a company that's in that space, very fascinating. This company came public in 2014 and just crashed. I mean, it just goes down. Now it's just surpassed the price that it came public at six years ago. That is totally common, by the way. I know it's not what you want to hear. It's just the way that it actually works. <laughs> what people want to hear is something that's not possible. But anyway... The other thing that, that's interesting about this is that other solar stocks have been showing up over the past few weeks. Now you got two that show up on one day. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? If you're thinking and you're listening, if you're a stock picker out there, you know that Peter Lynch used to talk about buying all the stocks in one sector because his fund had gotten too big. What does that tell you? When you see one or two stocks coming up in a sector, he's probably not the last in the world that ever had that thought especially of the portfolio managers. So they're looking for those types of things. That's what that tells you. The last one is uh, Logitech, which, by the way, it's also a uh, technology company. And it has a very decent price to sales, sales ratio. It looks like the left-hand side of Mount Everest, so be careful with that one because uh, it's going up fast. Anyway, I hear the music. That means the show is over. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Have a good week, good investing, and good luck. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer.
If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.